We are back and we are very, very excited to welcome this next guest to the show. He is not only the best commentator in the sport currently, but I would say without a doubt the GOAT of uh, mixed martial arts commentary. It is the man with the iconic voice. It is Mr. John Anik, and he's here with us. How are you going, mate? Thanks for joining us. Oh, way too kind, my man. It's great to be with you guys. It's obviously a very festive fight week, and uh, I think those words are a little bit of hyperbole out of you. But you're getting me fired up with the Neds promo and everything else. I could probably use you on Sunday morning for the pay-per-view. We're available, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you're getting us fired up because we, uh, we set out a journey about 68 weeks ago with a podcast and had a bit of a list of people that we would love to talk to, and it's come by this radio station and radio show that we've started. And, mate, we are absolutely thrilled to get the uh, chance to uh, pick your brain for a little bit. And firstly, just like to ask how you're feeling after what would be a horrific trip, I reckon, from where you are, mate. 30 hours probably, 30 hours plus? Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And congratulations, 68 weeks in on the podcast and everything you guys got going on. But, yeah, it was pretty difficult. And certainly I'm not fighting, right? So let's be clear about that, right? But I also have to physically and mentally and emotionally get myself ready to do an eight-hour broadcast. So – It was 37 hours door-to-door from South Florida to Perth, Western Australia, and I've always had a lot of respect for the Aussies who travel to the U.S. to fight because there's nothing ideal about it. And even if you think you have adjusted and you have nipped the jet lag in the bud and you feel physically in a good way, all it takes is one bad night to sort of regress and get back to where you were. So certainly we try to hit the ground running, try to get some exercise in and try to sort of stay awake and get on the time zone. All things considered, I feel pretty good, but, you know, 2.30 a.m. wake-up call on Sunday morning kind of is what it is. <laughs> it's not great, is it? It's not great on the body. But, mate, you're well-known, actually, for being one of the most well-prepared and well-researched guys in the game. So a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, bell to bell, you get there – from the start, you're calling every fight. As you said, it's an eight-hour workday from the uh, start to the finish. How do you get prepared for such a long, grueling day with so many different fighters, so many fights? You've got to know pretty much everything, don't you? And, mate, it seems like you do a pretty good job of it. But... Well, thank you, my man. It means a lot. You know, I do probably 25 of the 41 shows that we do with the UFC. And, you know, I'm very thankful, obviously, for the repetitions because I think for a lot of us, The only way to get better at anything is to have those repetitions. And obviously, I'm sure you guys, even 68 weeks into your show, are at a totally different level than you were, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. So for me, this is the devil that I know. But I would be lying if I said to you guys that calling an American football game over three hours wouldn't be an exponentially easier endeavor for me. You know, I have 26 fighters that I have to wrap my head around, and that's just sort of a small cornerstone of the job that has nothing to do with television formatics and writing the pay-per-view open and making sure you're maximizing every locker room shot to try to do right by these athletes. So largely this is my passion. It is a labor of love, but if this fight card got delayed four hours, guys, like I could make good use of the remaining time. Like I sit here right now, and I basically feel pretty good about 22 of the 26 athletes. There are a few athletes, Elvis Brenner and a couple others that I have to sort of shore up before I get to fight night. But uh, once we get to Sunday morning, boys, we'll be ready to rock. And uh, speaking of uh, Sunday morning, pardon me, mate, uh, talk to us about this event. It's uh, we've, we've seen on the internet a little bit about the, you know, inverted commas, lack of promotion. I mean, I personally don't feel there has been um, a lack of hype and build up. I feel like living in Australia, we've, we've had it absolutely all over the TV, the radio, everywhere you drive, you see it. So I guess how big is this event in your opinion for, I guess, your career in what you've seen and I guess the, 
if Volkanovski wins on Sunday, where would you rate that in, I guess, what you've seen and what you've done so far? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if Alexander Volkanovsky wins in whatever form, you can argue it as the singular biggest win in UFC history. Certainly, there are others that would be in that conversation when Daniel Cormier knocked out Stipe Miocic to become a simultaneous two-division champion. I've been doing this almost 12 years. You can be sure this is one of the five biggest fights that I will have ever called. And I'm glad it's happening here, quite honestly, right? Because if this was happening in San Antonio, Texas, I'm not sure that it would be that big a deal. Now, promotionally, one of the challenges for us, you know, we just went to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for the first time in four years, and that was only a few weeks ago. So for me, I can't really turn the page to Volk and Makhachev until I get through that show. And we also had another live event last week. So sometimes it really is just the nature of the beast. But I got to think the internal metrics are outstanding. And it's certainly not lost on the American fan that this is the first time in UFC history that we have on the men's side the two best pound-for-pound fighters in the world going toe-to-toe. So it's a huge, huge event, and um, I think the betting line is way out of whack. I'm really excited to see what Volkanovski can do with the chance. It's so exciting, and I think a lot of people do, a lot of MMA fans understand the gravity of this fight and the legacy that's on the line, especially for Alex. We we had the chance to just get onto a bit of uh, breakfast radio this morning, mainstream breakfast radio here on SEN, and uh, you know, it's not huge in the mainstream MMA or the UFC, but we went with it live on radio this morning that if Alexander Volkanovsky wins, it is the biggest achievement of any Australian sportsman in history. Wow. And we, I, I truly believe that, and so does Matty. We both believe I think a lot of people do, but you should have seen the uh, the text line and the call line light up from everyone at home that just, oh, no, that's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I truly think that if he wins, in Australian history, I would put it at number one. What about Rod Laver, though? And obviously there were portions of his career where he wasn't even a pro and he was an amateur and realized wild success. I mean, that's the first name that I thought of. But, yeah, in terms of a singular accomplishment – You know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, obviously, Robert Whitaker was born in New Zealand, but we all consider him an Aussie, and certainly he had a lot of shining moments. But, yes, I mean, Volkanovski, to become the first Australian two-division UFC champion and to move up and wait to get it done and to extend his winning streak to 23, you can argue him as the greatest mixed martial arts athlete of all time. So I don't think it's outrageous for you to take that stance. You know, I can understand why maybe some people get sensitive to it, but I think you're onto something, sure. I was I was called many things this morning, John, on the text ah. machine, and my first lesson I was told when we started doing this is don't look at it, but uh, it, they came in thick and fast because there is, uh, like we said, there's a lot of people that still don't fully, you know, get around, I guess, the the sport in its totality in, uh, in the country, Mako Shark, as well. Um, mate, if he wins this fight, though, do you, where do you rank him in the history of the entire sport? I'd, I'd like to know. So do you have yeah. him prime Connor? Do you have him in, in and around that? Because I think also people forget how good Connor's run was and who he beat and what he did and the, the, I guess the grand scale of what he did. It was absolutely amazing. And I was lucky enough to be in New York to see him win that second belt. And the way he captured just the hearts and minds of that audience and just the showmanship of him and him at his peak is unbelievable. But I would love to know, like, where, 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 where do you see Volkanovski if he wins this? I'm glad that you highlighted Conor McGregor's body of work because given the fact that he's lost three of his last four, most people don't consider Conor McGregor to be one of the all-time greats. And 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's on the Mount Rushmore for me, even though Connor is the biggest superstar in mixed martial arts history. But I do think that people do lose sight of what he was able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. As far as Volkanovsky's greatness is concerned, I think you can already argue that he's accomplished more than Khabib Nurmagomedov, who retired at 29 and 0, just by nature of Volkanovsky's schedule. You know, Mm -hmm. when you talk about the greatest featherweights of all time, that was a three-headed conversation between Max Holloway, Jose Aldo, and Alexander Volkanovsky for a time, and yet somehow, some way, Volk has actually closed that conversation by virtue of beating those guys four effing times. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Islam Makhachev, as I will say in my pay-per-view open this weekend, is an absolute phenom. Even before Khabib became the champion, Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov and others were saying that as soon as Khabib's done, it's going to be Islam. So... If Volkanovski is able to move up in weight and beat this guy, I think you can certainly argue that it's the singular biggest win in MMA history. And even though for me, John Jones is the greatest mixed martial arts athlete of all time, Volkanovski would absolutely unequivocally enter that conversation. I think, yeah, without a doubt, I put him well ahead of Khabib. If he put, I actually said he probably put him ahead of Khabib as is, but if he wins on Sunday, I have him no doubt up there with John Jones. But uh, look, I want to ask you a little bit about a few of the other Aussies on the card. I know you're a big fan of the uh, the Bendigo bomber, Jimmy Crute. Oh. He's, uh, he's on it, and I'm so excited. He's a good friend of ours as well. We've had him on the show a couple of times. And, mate, I get hairs on the back of my neck thinking about this return. Oh, man. Obviously, it's been a long time coming for Jimmy, and he's had a lot of professional adversity despite being just 26 years of age. I think at times, maybe, he was a victim of expectation. You know, it was guns blazing on Dana White's Contender Series, and you had commentators like me, you know, anointing him the next big thing, and some of the injuries sort of intervened. But I come back to that word repetitions, and Jimmy Crute obviously has had a lot of those. And it's interesting when I hearken back to previous fighter meetings with Jimmy when he talks about overtraining a little bit. I think for Jimmy, he just kind of had to reset, take a few deep breaths and kind of get out of his own way. I mean, there's no denying the work ethic, but sometimes when he gets in the octagon because his skills are so appreciable, he forces the issue. And I think you're going to see a more measured approach from Jimmy Crude. Of course, in the matchup with Lonzo Menafield, easier said than done. Um, But Jimmy is the betting favorite. I think he deserves that distinction. And I think you're going to see a little bit more measured approach and just overall a more layered mixed martial artist. Definitely think he's going to get a little bit back to that uh, grappling basis. Oh, he's, people have forgotten how damn good he is on the mat with his jiu-jitsu and his grappling, like what he did to Paul Craig and stuff like that. Yeah. So if we can see, because of his knee injury, I just don't feel like he uh, felt confident in it. But I reckon now with the body right, yeah, we're going to see a new Jim Crute. And he also said to us in the fighter meeting he's keeping a low profile this week by design. You know, there have been times where everybody has wanted a piece of Jimmy Crute and he's kind of sort of laying back in the cut this week, and I think that's probably the right approach. But – uh You know, I do think that, you know, he's still just 26 years of age, and I don't know when you guys, how old you are or when you feel like you really came into your own, but for me, it really wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I acutely figured out who I was. So, you know, I think Jimmy's saying a lot of the good things, and I think mentally he is very tough, but um, make no mistake about it, there's a lot of pressure on Jimmy Crute walking out to open this pay-per-view Sunday morning. You have probably the, uh, the dream job. Of anyone in the world, I reckon, sitting cage side for all these moments. It's, uh, it's got to be almost surreal for yourself. I reckon you've probably got to pinch yourself at times. But huh. with everything you've ever seen, what would probably be the most memorable thing that stands out to you? Well, I think there's a little bit of a recency bias when I mention Leon Edwards' knockout of Kamaru Usman. But I have long said that the most special part of this job for me 
is seeing a non-champion break through and become a first-time UFC champion. So most of the moments that I hearken back to are those moments when somebody breaks through to become a first-time UFC champion. Rose Namajunas, I believe, against Ioanni M. Jacek, and of course, most recently, Leon Edwards, obviously, Alex Pereira and some others. But I would have to say, in terms of a singular fight, it was actually in Brisbane, Australia in 2013. It was mm-hmm. my man, the lead horse, Mark Hunt, taking on Antonio Bigfoot <laughs> Silva. To this day, still probably the greatest heavyweight fight in UFC history. Yeah. And because it was happening in the morning in Brisbane and it was a UFC fight night, I just kept thinking, I hope the Americans are actually watching this play <laughs> out right now because this is one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. So yes. that's probably the most memorable fight that I've ever called. I was like shaking when I was walking out of the Brisbane Entertainment Center that morning. So that will always sort of uh, be a special moment for me. But the Leon Edwards call, I think, is, is probably the most singularly special broadcast moment. And uh, you talked about you hope that the Americans were up and watching. I, I saw a lot of Twitter uh, talk from the most recent event with uh, Big Derek Lewis and uh, Sergey Spivak, and people were absolutely freaking out that they'd waited up and, and watched that. They were, they, they were quite disappointed, John, with, with the big fella's performance in that, which, you know, I, I, it looks to us from the outside that maybe he's just at near, near the end, I think, the big guy. And, uh, but, yeah, it was a bit of a lacklustre performance for a lot of people watching at 3 a.m., I think, your time at the time. Yeah, and obviously the Europeans have absolutely – they don't want to hear the complaints from the Americans about the start time for these fight cards. Let's be clear about that. But, yeah, I mean I think that it felt like a little bit of a lackluster main event, and you don't want to take anything away from Sergei Spivak. But That's my right. thesis statement is that Derek Lewis doesn't seem ready to headline anymore. He's not going to be competitive, I don't think, against the top five guys in the world that can really do it all and mix it up. Stylistically, I didn't think this was a great matchup for him. It felt like it was an eventuality that Spivak was going to grapple, be able to take him down, and eventually submit him. And, you know, I do think in some part it speaks to Derek Lewis's lack of evolution. He's the greatest knockout artist in UFC heavyweight history, obviously cardiovascularly he has worked very hard to put himself in better shape but in terms of the wrestling and the grappling and the maintenance um he's either not doing the right work or not making the requisite improvements so i'm yeah. not sure if he's done like i think his show money is such that we're going to see him two or three more times in the ufc perhaps in favorable matchups with strikers but um yeah. i do think his days of contending are over as uh, as fans of his, I think we'd like to uh, to not probably see him against these up and coming bulls that are getting the rub to be you know the next big thing. We might like to see him against maybe some some older heads where he's you know that sort of performance might not be happening, mate. Just right. back to your your preparation for a minute as well. I'd love to understand because you do have the best seat, and we spoke about that. But you, some of the things you see, I mean, it's just unbelievable and so close. How do you, I guess, not turn into a fan at times and just call it so clearly and you you get it right every time it's it's like seamless but like if you put anyone else in that seat i just i just find it amazing how you you manage to capture the essence in the moment always correctly but also you're obviously a massive fan of it how, how do you do that is that just muscle memory is that just is it part of the preparation or is it just a a skill that you you're lucky enough to have because it it seems impossibly hard looking from the outside Well, candidly, it gives me a lot of confidence when you start talking that way. And when Israel Adesanya, I remember, had a quote when I think he had said something that he regretted. He said, you speak on the mic enough times and you're bound to miss the mark with some bars. And it's not as though it hasn't happened for me. But I take this job so seriously, perhaps too seriously at times, that 
all the anxiety for me, guys, is in the preparation. It's not yeah. in the performance. I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to the prep because, candidly, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, we shouldn't be doing more than 11 or 12 fights per card. Like, the, yeah. for me, prepping 24 fighters compared to 30 is just like a totally different beast. I'm not sure that I can effectively prep 30 fighters the way I can 24. But, yeah. you know, in terms of in the moments, you know, like – I do feel like at this stage of my life, almost 45 years old, I can recognize that, that maybe I have some natural ability as an orator to sort of react on the fly. I do think sometimes I morph into a fan a little bit, and yep. Joe Rogan always says we're professional fans, and we try to toe that line. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what has made our broadcast booth resonate with people is that you guys do feel like we are fans. And even though we are professional fans and calling it down the line um, – the reason why we're in those seats largely is because we are rabid MMA fans like you guys are. So, you know, we've never had a perfect show. We probably never will. Um, but this is the soundtrack of these men and women's professional and personal lives. And we just want to make it as special as possible, right? So that when their yeah. families are ingesting this, when their children, however many years later for a lot of these athletes are watching these fights, um, that it's not just the mixed martial arts, but it's also the soundtrack that they're proud of. Absolutely, and I think you guys being fans deep down, it shines through nothing better than that the reaction cam of you guys when the camera huh. shows you, DC, Joe Rogan, <laughs> reacting to some crazy knockout, and you can just tell it's just pure fandom. It's, just, it's the humanity of it just coming out. You can't help that. I know I read a lot of comments on Twitter and online. Some people go, oh, they're just they're, they're staging this. It's all rehearsed. It's fine. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. That is as natural human reaction as you can possibly get, seeing that type of stuff up close. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, it's crazy when people think that we would play to the cameras, right? Joe Rogan is literally holding us back as if <laughs> yeah. it's like a car accident to try to yep. protect us. It's a little tiny camera right in front of Joe. We aren't playing to it whatsoever. But you guys know, I mean, this sport provides unpredictable theater like no other. I mean, those really are nice. our organic reactions. For me... I'm just trying to make sure that I cap the fight with something effective before I just go completely bananas. You know, there are times where, like, I don't use my diaphragm properly and I start to see stars. I feel like I'm going to black out, you know. But ultimately for me, I'm not a catchphrase guy. You know, I want every call to have historical context. I never think about what I'm going to say. I have no idea what I'm going to say if Volkanovsky breaks through, um, but I want that call to be special to the moment. And if you think too much about what you're going to say, it's not going to be organic to the moment. But, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy job, and um, i got to go earn it again Sunday morning. And I've got no doubt you will, mate. And it's great, great answer because it's not just that moment then. It's, it's generations and generations of people that will go back and listen to this. And there was a, I, I can't remember the game. It was a playoff game just recently in the NFL where a lot of the, you know, the guys from Barstool were just freaking out on Twitter about the commentary and how lackluster they were calling the comeback. And that's going to be there for the history of time. Like that might be one of the great playoff comebacks. I'm just, I wish I'd, uh, I'd, the, the names of the teams came back, but it was a couple of old guys that were just sort of, it was almost like they're having a tea party calling the game and weren't actually capturing what was happening. And then that's going to be there forever, isn't it? So it's sort of yeah. like, it's on you to really, I guess, deliver that because it's not just going to be heard live. It's going to be played for, for decades and generations to come. No, you're absolutely right. And one thing that I can always control is my energy. Even 
in Perth, Western Australia, as far away from my kids as I could possibly be. That's one thing that I can always control to make sure that I bring it and I have that energy. And part of that is physically just getting my body in position to have the energy, right? But I also feel like, you know, I'm the captain of the team. I'm the leader of the broadcast team. And so if my analysts, when it comes to their energy, ebb and flow a little bit over an eight-hour broadcast, i got to always be there, right? I'm not the professional athlete, right? I'm the guy who is supposed to raise the level of my analysts. And that is a big part of my focus. So, yeah, sometimes I hear these major sporting events. And um, even, you know, after, I don't know if you guys know, but what happened with the Buffalo Bills player, DeMar Hamlin goes into yeah. cardiac arrest. And then the next yep. game, you know, Naheem Hines returns the opening kickoff for yeah. a touchdown. And I felt like that call just could have been better. And yeah. I'm talking about elite, elite announcers. And yet yes. I felt like that call left me uh, wanting a little bit more. Well, John, mate, it's been an honor to speak to you. Uh, we can just tell, you know, you're a lifelong fan, just like we are. It's been an honor to talk to you. We're, uh, we're very new to this. We're just in the media space. This is our first USC event as media. We're very excited to get down to the press conference and the weigh-ins and that. So it's going to be all pretty new to a couple of blokes like us. So if you see us there trembling, just maybe come over and uh, give us a glass of water or something like that. Well, thank you, boys. I wish you guys all the best with the show, and hopefully we can uh, we can connect maybe after the pay-per-view. But I will see you guys at the press conference. And, uh Enjoy the show, man. It's going to be pretty wild. Absolutely. You've been fantastic, mate, and we wish you all the best for Sunday. And, yes, we'd love to uh, maybe have a beer with you one day soon, mate. So all the best and chat soon. Of course, brother. Stay in touch. Have a good day, boys. Thank you, you. sir. Thanks. Neds are the official wagering partner of the UFC. Download the Neds app and take it to the Neds level. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. This is Them's Fighting Words on SEN across Australia on the SEN app. We'll be back after this.